Hello everyone. Um, hope you're doing well. I'm sorry this is a day coming to you a day late. Normally I come uh, with my content on Tuesday. I had a uh, minor uh, procedure done on my mouth. Uh, no, nothing big. It was fixing a root canal from uh, a few years past. Uh, but anyway, I wasn't able to record yesterday. And if my face a little swollen here, um, and I might be talking a little tentative today, that's why. Um, anyway, uh, back with my Advent devotional where uh, I dig a little bit deeper into the theme of my sermon uh, from Sunday. And if you were with us, either in person or online, then you'll recall that I talked about uh, the significance of the advents of Jesus the first and the coming second advents of Jesus as it pertains to uh, redemption, renewal. And um, we, think, we think often of our sins that need to be forgiven, but we don't give as much thought to our wounds that need to be healed. Uh, for some, even that language of wound, wounding is a little bit off-putting. Uh, but the salvation of Jesus truly is a holistic thing, not just our forgiveness, but also our healing. Uh, if you've sat in church long enough, you have uh, probably heard a preacher use uh, an illustration from the musical Les Miserables. It, it, it's Victor Hugo's novel, but it's obviously better known as musical adaptation. And, and you probably have heard this used to illustrate the power of grace, um, because it does, as well as any story that's been written. Uh, but I guarantee the illustration had to do with uh, Jean Verjean, who uh, was the criminal who stole the silver. And uh, the man he uh, steals it from uh, not only lets him keep the silver, not only lets him go his, on his way, but even gives him uh, more silver. And um, this lavish act of grace, of course, uh, transforms Verjean uh, into a new man. And it's a great illustration of God's uh, amazing grace and the power it has to transform us. But there's another story in Les Mis that doesn't get as much attention but speaks just as much to God's grace. And it's the story of Fontaine. Fontaine is a story of brokenness, um, pain. She's a single mom trying desperately to survive in a brutal world, uh, but continues to fall victim to injustice after injustice after injustice. And all of her misery, of course, culminates in probably the most famous song um, that lyrically and musically together perfectly express the agony of life in this fallen world. Let me read it for I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> I'll read it. Uh, this is what she says. I dreamed a dream in time gone by when hope was high and life worth living. I was young and unafraid and dreams were made and used and wasted. I love that line. Um, uh, our dreams were uh, coming so true that we were just making them and, and wasting dreams. There was no ransom to be paid. Listen to this. No song unsung, no wine untasted. Just this amazing, beautiful dream as life as it should be. And then, of course, the song turns. But the tigers come at night. Tigers and dreams represent predators who sneak up and just surprise you with their destruction. Uh, 
but the tigers come at night with their voices soft as thunder as they tear your hope apart, as they turn your dream to shame. And then the song ends with that hopeless lament. I had a dream my life would be so different from this hell I'm living. So different now from what it seemed. Now life has killed the dream I dreamed. That is a perfect articulation of the dissonance between the dream of how things should be, those echoes of Eden inside us all, and the reality that life in this fallen world has killed that dream. And to some degree, her story is all of our stories. True, we are like Berjan, criminals who need forgiveness, but we're also like Fontaine, weak and wounded, battered and besieged by life in this cruel, unmerciful world, and we need the grace of Jesus there too. We don't just need Jesus to forgive us. We need Jesus to heal us. And so if you recall, my application from Sunday was a very vulnerable question that maybe even made you uncomfortable. And it was, if you were to encounter Jesus like one of those in the gospel, if you were to encounter Jesus, what would come untrue? If you were to cry out for anything to your Savior, what would be that cry? So what I thought I would do for our devotion today is look at one of those encounters in the gospel. It's not as well known as others, but it's, it's, uh, it's my favorite in all of uh, the gospels uh, because of the unique details of it. So let me read it. And then I'll just share some devotional thoughts from it. This is from Mark 7, uh, verse 32. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hands on them. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his finger into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue, and looked up to heaven. He sighed and said to him, Apatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Jesus charged them all, charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. So let me just share a few thoughts here. What's going in our text, what's going on in our text is a confession, but a different kind of confession. A, a man bringing to Jesus Uh, not just his sins, bringing to Jesus his pain, his affliction, uh, his wounds of the fall, that part of him that should not be, that part of him that has killed the dream of life as it should be. And he's pleading for the mercy of Jesus. Have you noticed that Jesus did not just come as an evangelist? He didn't just go about the ancient world sharing how to get to heaven. He went about the ancient world bringing heaven to earth. For this man, it was his hearing and his speech. And again, I ask, what would that be for you? If you're like me, that's an uncomfortable question to answer. It's easier for me to confess my sins than to confess my wounds. And part of that is understandable because we do live in a culture of blame where everybody's a victim, nobody wants to take responsibility, it's always someone else's fault. And 
I understand it can be nauseating at times. And one of the refreshing things about Christianity is uh, to follow Jesus, we, we, we do confess that we are our own worst enemies. Um, we are our biggest problem. So I get the hesitancy. But I have discovered, particularly in my tradition, that we have gone to the other extreme and either think that we have no wounds that need to be healed or we think it's virtuous to ignore our wounds that need to be healed. But this is actually its own form of self-righteousness. Like the Pharisees who uh, look down on sinners, we can be self-sufficient Pharisees who look down on the weak. Meaning we, we could be those who say, yeah, maybe the deaf and the mute need Jesus, but I'm fine. I just need Jesus to forgive me, not heal me. That's nonsense. All of us are desperate sinners in need of grace, and all of us are desperately injured by the fall and in need of his healing. So let's watch Jesus do that. It's the details of the story that make it my favorite. Verse 33 says, and taking him aside from the crowd privately. I love that. This personal attention of Jesus. Uh, he pulls this one hurting person aside so that uh, right now in this moment, his only focus can be upon him, his pain, his story. The sovereign of the universe is not bothered is not impatient or inconvenienced or annoyed. He is glad to be with this man in his pain. So don't ever think that you and your story are insignificant to Jesus. He has the capacity to be individually concerned with each of us. He's not bothered by you. He's not inconvenienced by you. He's not annoyed by you. He's not growing weary of you and your struggles. He is concerned with you. Okay? Continue on. It says, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. That's so beautiful. You know, um, Jesus can say a word and this man would be healed. He would hear again. He could just say, be healed, and it would be done. So why doesn't he? Because the man wouldn't have heard him. Instead, Jesus speaks his language. He speaks the language of this deaf man, the language of touch. It's just so much empathy from the Savior here as he communicates in a way that this man will understand this language of touch. And it's not just that he touches him. He touches him in the greatest places of his shame. He sticks his fingers in his ears. He touches his tongue. In fact, he, he takes his own spit, this <laughs> divine saliva, and places it on the tongue of this man. This is, this is an intimacy. This is awkward intimacy. The source of this man's greatest shame, that place um, that has um, been made fun of his whole life, uh, people stare at him over, what has kept him from gainful employment and turned him into a beggar, that place Jesus touches, meaning he's not afraid of our wounds. They may be shameful to you, but Jesus wants to go there. He will not humiliate you. He will not uh, be disgusted. 
He will not heal you from a distance. He will, quite literally, as the scriptures say, wipe every tear from every eye. Every single one of us will know the healing touch of Jesus. Verse 34, and looking up to heaven, he sighed. A more accurate translation would be he deeply sighed, meaning he groaned. You know what he's doing here? What we do in our affliction. And he's not just pretending to relate. This is an authentic groan. He hurts with this man. He's exhausted by the the futility of this fallen world. Jesus knows what it's like when all you have left to do is look up to the heavens and groan. Isn't that amazing? That Jesus uh, doesn't just come to observe what it's like, but he came to experience what it's like. He came to hurt with our hurts, to feel the pain of our pain, to literally groan with us. Now, all this is wonderful. A God incarnate, intimately concerned with the pain of his people. But this is merely sentimentality unless he can actually do something about it. We don't merely want a Savior who can sympathize with our pain, as great as that is. We want a Savior who can triumph over our pain. Well, Jesus alone can do that. Jesus says to him, Apatha, Epatha, that is, be opened. Verse 35, his ears were opened, his tongue was released. Literally in the Greek, the chains of his tongue were broken. I love that picture. Our wounds don't just hurt us, they bind us. They chain us. So much of who we are is bound up in the chains of our story. But Jesus is stronger than the chains. He has come to to liberate captives from the oppression of their own story. There is nothing the fall can do to you that Jesus cannot undo. There is no abuse that you have suffered. There is no tragedy that you have undergone There is no pain to the past or future, no affliction, no suffering, no sorrow or grief. Nothing is permanent. They will, they may be stronger than you, but they are not stronger than your Jesus. And they will come undone when they face your Jesus. Verse 36 says, Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. So the story begins with a man who can't speak, and it ends with crowds who can't shut up. That's what happens when healing hope comes to town. And what are they saying about him? Verse 37, they were astonished beyond all measure, saying, he has done all things well. I wonder if that language sounds familiar to you. The famous conclusion of Genesis 1, God looked at all that he had done and it was good. Mark uses the Greek word that is used to translate that Hebrew word good. He has done all things good. Their confession echoes the confession of Genesis 1. Over the original creation, before the fall of man made a mess of things, Jesus has restored things back to how they're supposed to be. He is the reverse of the fall. He is the source of all things new. So again, I ask you, what needs to be 
what needs to be made new in you. Don't hide your pain. Don't pretend like it's not there. Don't act like it's not that big of a deal. Don't assume that you can handle it or fix it. Instead, confess it. Just like you confess your sins, confess it to Jesus. Give it to Jesus, fully trusting that He can save you from your sins and your pain. Trust your story to Jesus, knowing for certain that the story as you know it will give way to the story as you long to know it. One of the most troubling things about the story of Les Mis, if you're familiar with it, is its apparent lack of redemption. It is a brutal story. The characters you love die. Uh, the noble cause that they are fighting for fails. In other words, it's just like life in this world. Brutal and painful. But at the end of the story, uh, Verjean is on his deathbed, and he is given a vision of another story, a story that is bidding him to come, and it's Fontaine doing the bidding. The victim of the story who earlier was singing, life has killed the dream I dream, is in a new dream singing a new song. And this is what she says to him. She says, come with me where chains will never bind you. All your grief at last, at last behind you. That's what Advent is doing. It is the promise of all things new, the promise of Jesus and His return and wiping every tear from every eye. This is a bidding of sorts. It is calling us into a story that is to come, saying to all of us, come with me where chains will never bind you, where all your grief at last will be behind you. And we're not there. We're not there yet. Soon we will be there. Until then, let's longingly look to Jesus not just for forgiveness, but for our healing. Okay, thanks for watching in. Uh, do be sure to uh, follow along with Mark's prayer time today, and then Will will have an application uh, for us tomorrow, and we'll see you on Sunday for our next uh, Advent sermon. Thanks for watching.